2: What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisco, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us individually on Twitter and follow the podcast at Locked On Bengals for your daily updates on what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. It was a big news day on Wednesday for the Cincinnati Bengals with Mike Daniels officially signing his $2.7 million contract and addressing the Cincinnati media for the first time. DJ Reader had a press conference too, so busy day for Cincinnati media for sure. And on the downside, John Ross leaving the team to go tend to the health of his family. We'll talk about the John Ross departure in segment one of the show we'll touch on some of the very interesting things that Mike Daniels had to say to the media in part two of the show. And then in part three, we go into some analysis and this all stems from some work that John Sharon and I kind of had a back and forth on Twitter this morning, looking at EPA per play and the splits for the Bengals from the first half of the season to the second half of the season, looking at those same splits for DVOA, which takes uh quality of competition into account so we get into some of those numbers and why there's some reason for optimism for the 2020 offense in part three of today's show but first let's get started with really the bad news for the day which is that John Ross has taken his leave from the team to go tend to his family. The Bengals have officially placed John Ross on the COVID reserve list, which means when he does return to the team, if he does return to the team, he'll be subject to all of the return to play protocols that a player that potentially has tested positive for COVID will have to go through. He'll have to pass a few COVID tests and it'll really be interesting to see what John Ross chooses to do here. This is a player who brings a unique element to the wide receiver court in Cincinnati in the way of speed that really doesn't exist besides John Ross they lose something unique in John Ross if he doesn't come back in a timely fashion and we really don't know how this is going to play out yet and that's the the key here Jake is really to me I, I kept
3: thinking and not that you don't think about players families but you think about the player staying safe off the field and going back to the facility but in this case you have a three-year-old who tests positive for COVID-19, his mom tests positive for COVID-19. And now John Ross is like, well, I got to get there. I got to get to my son. I got to make sure he's okay." which I don't think anyone would blame Ross for doing that. Right. We would all do that. And that's exactly what he should do. But that's the reality of football in 2020. John Ross goes on the COVID-19 reserve list. And it has nothing to do with him not doing the right things. It has nothing to do with him not controlling what he can control. He absolutely is. And yet he still has to to leave the team. So, one, I hope his son uh, and then his son's mother are both okay and healthy and can recover from this. Uh, and then, two, you mentioned the football stuff. And, look, I get it. There are a lot of people out there that doubt John Ross. But when he is out there, he brings something that no one else on this team brings and not many people in the league can bring. And I was excited and I'm still excited to watch him play with Joe Burrow. And I know John was as well. And, uh, you know, hopefully he can get back before the start of the regular season. Um, But first, obviously, he's got to make sure his son uh, and his son's mom are both healthy and okay.
2: Absolutely. The order of operations here in terms of concern for anyone who is a fan of John Ross and or the Cincinnati Bengals is for the health of the child for the health of the kid's mom that all comes first for John Ross's health too right going to take care of somebody who's tested positive for COVID is a pretty scary thing to do especially for a guy to shift to the football side of things in John Ross's position he's in a contract year in a lot of ways a lot of people see this As a make or break year for John Ross, who struggled out of the gates very quickly, found himself in Marvin Lewis's doghouse after fumbling the first touch of his NFL career, had a hard time getting his career off the ground as a rookie, dealt with some injuries, dealt with some mental stuff that he's been very open about talking about, and finally starting to pick up production over the last couple years. He first has a touchdown production, then starts to have a little bit more Yardage and reception production, and this was a year with a full complement of wide receivers, with AJ Green back, with Tyler Boyd fully emerged, with a new quarterback. That was really a breakout opportunity for Ross. So you really do feel for him. Not only is his family sick, but he's he's putting his career on pause potentially. We don't know for how long, and and that's a big risk. It is. It's a huge risk, and it's a, a huge
3: year. And, and I guess the the one optimistic you know, area is, and you've seen this with throughout the NBA in the bubble, players have departed, you know, Zion Williamson left the bubble uh, and had to attend an extremely important family matter. And we still don't know what that is, at least publicly that is not known. And he was still able to make it back in time. And I I think that's part of it here is, is hopefully Ross can do that from a football standpoint, because the last thing you want, look, our lives have been altered enough the last thing you want is a guy in John who is 24 years old, has battled through – and that's the thing with injuries. Usually when fans talk about injuries specifically and some analysts, they talk about them like the guy is soft if they get injured. Well, you got to battle through it to get healthy. Like Tyler Afford had to battle through injury after injury after injury. So John has done that and put himself hopefully in a position to succeed in a contract year and hopefully set the, the family he's checking on right now up – for long-term financial stability, and uh, and now that is in jeopardy a little bit. So you hope he can get back quickly, one, because obviously the Bengals can use him, and he's in position to, to potentially have a big year, and two, because personally, by all accounts, he's done the work. He looks thicker. We've seen pictures of him, right, and the work he's put in and how he's worked out with T.J. Hoshmanzada to put himself in a position to have success this year and every year moving forward. I mean, we had him on the pod, uh, you you know, my my conversation with him, Jake. And and what was it? He was talking about how he had taken all these steps to keep his body healthy and stay ready and how he was seeing multiple doctors and things like that this offseason. So hopefully all of that work still pays off and he can get on the field for all 16 games this season.
2: Important to just point out that there's – Certainly a likelihood, a possibility, an open door, however you want to say it, that the Ross does get back and he's not even gone for all the training camp, but it is going to be that he's going to be behind the eight ball a little bit. He's going to miss time. He's going to miss the beginning of padded work, no matter what, even if he comes back to the team tomorrow, I think he still has to probably be out for a couple of days while he passes a few COVID tests and they, ha- they have to do the return to, to work kind of thing for him. So, He's going to miss some time either way. You hope he gets back sooner than later because that probably means also that he has a very mild case for for his family members too, right? So if he does get back quickly, that means everything has gone well. And I think that that is what everybody is rooting for at this point, but it is going to be something that we have to watch. Coming up next, Mike Daniels addressed the Cincinnati media today, had some very positive things to say about a number of people involved with the Bengals organization from coaches down to players. We'll hear from Mike Daniels coming up next and get into some analysis, some reflections on some of the things that he had to say.
1: If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast.
3: Let's keep things rolling here on Locked on Bengals with Mike Daniels. It became official on Wednesday, uh, reported one year to a $2.7 million deal with Cincinnati as the one-time Pro Bowler, 31-year-old, talked with the media for the first time on Wednesday. And I don't know why I am I was shocked by this or surprised by this, but I heard the passion and Mike Daniels voice. And I guess anytime you sign a $2.7 million contract, maybe you're going to have passion. But the the guy to me is hungry. And all of those Instagram stories and tweets that he's posted over the past couple of days, that came to life during his 21-minute news conference, in my eyes, because he talked about how he had to build a home gym in Michigan. So he does that at the beginning of this COVID nineteen pandemic. So early March, probably mid March, he's putting together fitness equipment. He said treadmills to squat racks to um different uh areas for him to deadlift and things like that, which imagine the weight he's deadlifting. I know he posted a, a, a video of him squatting over five hundred pounds the other day. So we're talking about big time heavy weights here. Is it you know and, and so the fact that he put that together Just to move it when he realized he wasn't going to be back in Detroit and he moved it back to Wisconsin and since he played for the Packers for uh, seven seasons and and that was just one of the many things that stood out to me. He seems uh, extremely hungry, uh, anxious, ready, in shape uh, and he believes he he, and he said this this stood out a lot. He said Jake that he feels better this year physically and you love the best shape of my life quote best shape of his life. He feels better physically this offseason and right now than he did prior to the 2017 season, which is the year he went to the Pro Bowl.
2: Hey, great, man. I'll take everybody coming in, in the best shape of their life. First one was <laughs> DJ Reader. A few months ago, or maybe a month ago now, we had a report that he had lost a bunch of weight. He talked about that today in his press conference. Apparently down 30 pounds from the end of last season, by the way, which is a lot of weight. Mike Daniels, hey. We'll take it. A.J. Green, I think, is another one. Joe Burrow, everybody's in the best shape of their life. Let's go. I'm not. I'll report that right Me now. Too. I'm not in the best shape of my life. Same. Big same. <laughs> Big same. So I, I listened to some of the some of the quotes. I did hear the energy in his voice. I, I appreciate his passion for the Bengals. I appreciated how familiar he already is with his future teammates. And, and he talks a lot about Geno Atkins. He talked about... You know how Carl Lawson is also an anime guy. If you don't know this about Mike Daniels, he loves anime. I feel like there have been features about his love for anime out there in the world. So so that's fun. You know, he's excited to play and and watch some cartoons with Carl Lawson. He's excited to play next to Geno Atkins, who's a guy that he's been watching since he came into the league. And he, he talked about this. He got a recommendation from Marshall Yonda, who they're both Iowa guys, turns out. And and he has known Geno Atkins for a while.
0: Talking to Marshall Yad in the weight room, and I said, "Hey, uh, any advice?" And he tells me, "There's a guy playing. You need to watch. His name is Geno Atkins. You know, you guys have a, uh, a similar build." So, my first couple of years, I really studied his game and uh, about just the, the 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 power that he that he plays with. Um, he's definitely somebody I've always I've always admired his game, and I got to know him as a person too. He's a he's an even better man than he is a player. So, I'm I'm really looking forward to sharing a, a locker room and a meeting room and, and the, being on the defensive line wing.
2: And a few things stand out there, right, James? For one, he talks about the similar build, and you might be wondering, oh, well, what, what's the dimensions on a Mike Daniels? What size is he coming? He's six one. He's six foot. sorry. He's an inch shorter than Geno Atkins, listed 10 pounds heavier than Geno. A guy that at Iowa played a lot of three techs, so and when he's coming into the league, of course, Marshall Yonda's going to say, hey, you want to watch a three tech? Watch Geno Atkins. Well, now they get to play next to each other. Yep. And that, that is
3: to me. And we've talked about this and I don't want to be redundant, but I, I think it is the reality, especially after what Mike Daniels had to say to the media. He came here partially because of the opportunity he saw to play alongside Geno Atkins and talented edge rushers and DJ reader. Like it sets him up for success and puts him in a position after two years where he's missed 13 games. 2018, 2019 combined, he's only played in 19 of 32 games. So he's had some injury issues. So now he can stay fresh and hopefully be productive in the snaps he gets. Right, I think back to 2017, he got 60% of the Packers' snaps. That shouldn't happen this year, and hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully he's in that 30 to maybe 35% range in that, and, and can be productive and be that Pro Bowl-type talent just in, in smaller and short bursts.
2: And that's exactly what we've talked about for the last few days in terms of his usage. I could see that getting a little bit higher. I wouldn't be upset if it's like 40-some weeks. It might be a little bit higher depending on the the kinds of offenses they're facing. Maybe they want to keep Geno and Mike Daniels on the field together a little bit more. Maybe they're not just ones behind the other and ones giving the other one a breather. So for the value, though, we, we didn't really talk about the, the number, $2.7 million for a deal for a guy like Mike Daniels with that pedigree, I think is a fantastic risk for the Bengals to take. Very low financial risk at at all, really. It's a one-year deal. And at that price point, you could get a lot of upside. And the other guy that we talked about that would have been like the high-end kind of guy to bring in, Timmy Jernigan, he's, he's said to be signing with the Jacksonville Jaguars after he passes a physical. So I'm going to be very interested to see personally how those financial numbers compare when we get the contract details.
3: And if I'm those two guys and the numbers are even remotely close, call me crazy and I love the beach and I actually have been to Jacksonville a ton, I'd much rather be in Cincinnati next to Geno Atkins. Call me nuts, call me biased, I think it makes sense.
2: I think that uh that whole income tax in Florida thing is is also something to consider when when there're million dollars on the line, right? I guess so. See, look at you. It's always it's always the money with you, Jake. Always I mean, the money. I mean, it's usually the money for professional athletes, right? Like if I'm considering jobs and one wants to pay me ten percent more, that's well, I guess I'm not making millions of dollars, so that's uh that's not sure? really as as big of a d as big of a number for me as it might be for a guy like Timmy Jernigan. Anyway, I also was pretty impressed, James, when you talked about how he came to Cincinnati, how impressed he is with Zach Taylor. And the more you hear it, the more you have to believe it, right? And and this is just another quote that displays the outstanding buy-in Zach Taylor elicits from the players on the Cincinnati Bengals roster.
0: He, he seems like a guy, and this has been confirmed by some of the players, who really cares about his players. He, he He's what the guys would consider a player's coach. Doesn't mean he's soft, doesn't mean that he's not going to work guys hard. It means he really has his players' best interests at hand. You know, he he wants to make sure everybody's uh, good to go for game day, to be able to be with a coach who really has a pulse of his has the has the pulse of the team. Goes to show that that he's talking to the guys. He cares about the guys, and when you care about your guys, then your guys turn around and they care about you. And now you're playing for something bigger than yourself.
2: So that's Daniels talking about the kind of buy-in that he's seen and heard from other players about what Zach Taylor's building in Cincinnati. And that's exactly what you want to hear. And you've heard it on such a recurring basis at this point that either Zach Taylor is a fantastic recruiter and or I guess this is just the culture he's built in Cincinnati. And that's very promising long term. I hope it's both, I,
3: I, right? I, I hope it's both. I hope it's a, a culture thing. I hope he is a great recruiter, and I hope he can make the Bengals a destination. Now, for that to be the case and that to happen, you need some of these free agents to not only have success, but you need Joe Burrow to be that dude. And you need Zach Taylor to be that dude. And right now, he's uh, still extremely unproven, and, and I think that's part of it here is he can, even after 2-14, and 14, how many coaches at 2-14 and 14 could sell players on culture? Well, Zach Taylor can, because obviously there were a lot of things working against him last year. And you see the direction they went this offseason and the guys they were able to get. So the fact that you get this guy, Mike Daniels, who did have options, he had other options in free agency, and he he picks the the Cincinnati Bengals. I I think that is a testament to Zach Taylor. I think it's a testament um, to the entire organization, because there were probably better teams that might have offered lesser roles or, or better projected teams, let's say, that would offer lesser roles uh, or maybe a, a spot that would not put you next to, to Geno Atkins and, and set you up for success. Because here's the thing with Mike Daniels is he's it's short term pay right now to potentially get one more decent deal before his, his career. ends. if he has a pretty good year this year, maybe he can get a multi-year deal next offseason. So uh, I, I think it was a smart move, but it is a testament to Zach Taylor. And I'm glad he's getting some credit.
2: It'll obviously have to stay healthy. If he wants to get one more deal. I think the last bit that's very interesting is he was asked about his scheme versatility and coming out of Iowa, he mentions, you know, he was straight up a three tech and that's a lot of why he watched, you know, Atkins. We've talked about the fact that he can play every interior position. And I just thought it was interesting to hear him talk about his scheme versatility.
0: I've played in funky three, fours my entire career, which is funny because coming out of Iowa, you see a six foot 290 pound guy, you are thinking oh he's a penetrating three technique. I didn't realize how good I played the four or the five technique or the nose until I got the Green Bay because I was forced to play everywhere along the line.
2: And this is something that has been reflected. We talked about his snap counts. We talked about where he's lined up. He and he's talked about it here. The fact that he's confident, ready to come in, play all over the interior, especially when you look at the weight that DJ Reader's lost. Mike Daniels playing at three ten. DJ Reader's probably only about three twenty right now, maybe three twenty five. I. I I guess I would have to do some math, but when you're talking about a guy that can actually back up multiple positions, has experience in multiple positions, this is something that the Bengals really needed because currently there's no true nose backup to DJ Reader on this team. There's nobody else that has a lot of experience playing the zero tech or one tech or the, the two inside shaded technique in the middle of the defensive line. Maybe they see Rennell run in that role, but having a guy like Mike Daniels around, I mean, having a front three, The top three of your defensive interior depth chart being DJ Reader, Mike Daniels, Geno Atkins is is just a fantastic place for anybody to learn and should put the fear into opposing offensive lines. Coming up next, we get into some stats that I found personally very interesting that should give you a little bit of hope at least looking forward to the 2020 Cincinnati Bengals offense. So to wrap up today's Locked On Bengals episode, we get into some pretty interesting team statistics for the offense. And this all started today because John Sheeran was going on a little bit of a, a Twitter rant about how little rush EPA or, or just generally rushing, how, how little of an impact on a per play basis, rushing offense really matters to overall offensive success. And the numbers do bear this out to a large degree, especially if you believe in EPA per play. So that got me thinking about, well, what about the splits? Because he started thinking, yeah, the, the rushing offense in the second half did get much better. It went from 26th in the league up to 17th in the league for, for certain periods of the year. But the offense on the whole got worse. For, for part of that time. Now, a large reason that offense got worse when the rushing offense got better was because Ryan Finley was terrible. So to, to dig into this a little bit further, we, we carved the splits into weeks one to eight, which is pre bye and then we looked post by when the Bengals reportedly made a lot of changes. And in the post buy period, we, we broke up the weeks where Ryan Finley started. And then when Andy Dalton returned. So From weeks one to eighth in EPA per play, the Bengals were 27th on offense, 27th ranked efficiency on offense overall, 24th in passing EPA and 26th in rushing EPA. In weeks 10 to 12, this includes the Ryan Finley games and the start of the turnaround for the rushing offense. The rushing offense goes from 26th to 11th. So you would think, oh yeah, that should lead to some improvements in the overall offense. Unfortunately for the Bengals, the offense drops down to 32nd in that time. And the rushing offense being 11th is not enough to even move the Bengals up at all. And in fact, the total offense is 32nd in the league, dead last. Just like the passing offense, even though the rushing EPA per play is 11th. In weeks 13 to 17, when Joe Mixon and Andy Dalton are playing together, and the offense is moving a little bit better, total EPA per play, 17th in the NFL, 14th in EPA per drop back, and that's with Andy Dalton playing quarterback, and 17th in rushing EPA per rush for the last few weeks of the season. So this tells us a couple things. One, the Bengals' offense in the second half of the season was significantly better than the first half of the season. Two, rushing EPA or, or expected points added pales in importance to passing and that's what the don't pay running backs crowd
3: says right is that you you don't necessarily need to to break the bank for joe mixon and i get it and i hear it and i also would be curious to see if they run that offense through joe mixon this year what these numbers look like if it is a successful offense um but it's it it is certainly interesting when you look at a, a back like Mixon, and you wonder how valuable he actually is, because there there are so many, so many people are quick to point out, Jake, over the past couple of years, how like the the Patriots have never had the superstar wide receiver and won a Super Bowl, right? They're like, how many superstar wide receivers win Super Bowls, right? Well, well, how many of these superstar running backs are are winning Super Bowls? You know they aren't. Even when Adrian Peterson was an MVP, he, he got the the Vikings to the playoffs, and what happened? They got torched by a really really good quarterback. So. Uh, There's obviously more value there uh, in top quarterbacks and passing offenses. And I I do think that is a good sign, though, when you you bring Joe Burrow into the mix uh, for this 2020 offense, that it could be uh, at least as good and hopefully better than we saw at the end of last season.
2: And this was part of why Christian McCaffrey is also more valuable than most running backs and. The thing about this is still that even throwing to your running back is on average worse than throwing to your wide receiver simply by the virtue of the fact that the running back more often than not starts further behind the line of scrimmage. So that's just a very simple thing that the statistics have borne out. The other interesting note here is that the the Bengals passing offense ranking 14th while the rushing offense ranks 17th in EPA per play and the overall ranking 17th in EPA per play well, the, the other bit that goes hand in hand with that is in a given season, maybe one or two NFL teams have positive EPA per play for rushing plays, whereas half to two thirds of the league have positive EPA per play for for passing offense. So it's just much harder to have a running offense that's good enough to actually add expected points as an outcome on a play by play basis. And one of those last year was Baltimore, which had a fantastic rushing game. The, the other thing that's really interesting here is that EPA per play does not account for the opposition. doesn't doesn't account for strength of schedule at all, but what does is DVOA. And what, what I find to be pretty interesting is that the, the, the passing offense goes from 24th in the first half of the year in DVOA, goes to 32nd while Ryan Finley's starting, and it's hard to overstate just how bad Ryan Finley was by most advanced metrics. I'm sorry that I belabor the point, but then Dalton comes back and they're 20th in DVOA. So a little bit worse than the 14th in EPA per play, but this is because of the quality of competition. The rushing offense goes from 32nd in the first half of the season in DVOA to 11th during Finley's reign. So Mixon much better when Finley was around and 20th afterwards when Andy Dalton returns. The total offense goes 29-30 And then when Dalton comes back, 23. So significant improvement, even when accounting for quality of competition. Now, not all the way up into the middle of the league, still near the bottom, but significant improvement with Andy Dalton and Joe Mixon playing together in the back half of the season after some adjustments come in. And now you get Joe Burrow, and now you get A.J. Green back, and now you get potentially some improvement on the offensive line, at least at one position in Jonah Williams. There's some reason, some some additional reason, I guess, if you're already optimistic to think that things could be going in the right direction for the offense.
3: And we talked about Zach Taylor earlier in the pod. Hopefully he's just more organized and comfortable, right, with everything that he's teaching and, and that the guys are, are more comfortable in his scheme, and I, I think they are. I think you're seeing a comfort here just by talking to Zach. Think about it. This is an uncomfortable time, and he seems much more – Settled in. I know I wasn't covering the team last year, but I certainly followed along certainly more settled in than he did a year ago because he, he didn't have that scramble. I mean, last off last year's offseason was a scramble and this year. I think that they had a, a a well thought out plan in free agency. Obviously, same thing goes for the draft. And, and despite COVID-19 and, and everything that's going on in the world, it does seem like they're more comfortable with what they're doing, how they're going to do it and the plan they have in place for Joe Burrow and, and the rest of the Bengals offense.
2: Things will certainly have to continue to trend in the right direction. This all relies on Jonah Williams hitting. This relies on Joe Burrow having a smooth transition to the NFL, which everything we hear from the players and coaches seems to be going well, at least if you ignore Colin Coward, which is highly recommended medicine for any Bengals fan out there. There's just reason to think this offense is going the right way and some advanced stats bear that out. The, the, the big thing that we need to watch then is don't become over-reliant on Joe Mixon. make sure that we're still running efficient offense. And I want to think that this coaching staff is smart enough to, to realize where the value of the running game is and, and where the value of the running game is not. So we'll have to see how the situational play calling goes for Zach Taylor in year two of play calling and how the offense changes as the the offensive coaching staff at the very least has shown the aptitude to make changes, to make adjustments, and, and that was borne out in those team statistics for the offense that I just talked about. So that, I think, is all great stuff. That's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Tomorrow, Tyler Boyd addresses the media. We'll hopefully have some things to talk about after he gushes i'm sure about the quality of the wide receiver room and the direction things are going probably get some of his thoughts on john ross's departure as well and we're also going to go back to our weekend mailbag we didn't get to do one last week so we will get back to that tradition for tomorrow's episode until then Bengals fans who and have a good one